My personal thoughts for the year of 2011 are rather mixed. On one hand, we have perhaps the strongest gaming lineup we've ever had, and more importantly, it was spread throughout the year, from Dead Space 2 in January, Crisis 2 in March, Portal 2 in April, through the summer titles like Bastion, Catherine, at least in the US and Japan, El Shaddai, to the usual fourth quarter big hitters like Call of Duty, Battlefield 3, Gears of War, etc. On the other hand, it was a year perhaps described as devoid of originality, plagued with sequels, and maybe the first time consumers have truly thought about the next generation of consoles and how it's maybe time to move towards that goal. Many of those things haven't made it a bad year, though. The majority of the sequels we did see were of a high quality, where, unlike so many in the movie industry, the the follow-ups are worthy of at least standing side-by-side with the predecessors. Portal 2, voted by many as Game of the Year, perhaps offered this the most. High-quality story mode, great characterization, free DLC, a a co-op mode, which was inventive. But I can't really comment on this, because aside from the DLC, which I played through with Joshua Garrity, sadly went unplayed. We had Dead Space 2, which followed on from probably the, the best of the survival horror games this generation. And in my opinion, bettered it. But we'll talk more on that later. We had Crisis 2, which, like Bioshock 2 the year before, offered a high-quality multiplayer mode, which proves that you don't need to be a Call of Duty, a Gears of War title, or a Battlefield to offer something a little different, something a little special. 2011 was a year of surprise. A year where we saw a certain Blue Hedgehog return to form in a high-standard title, which was well-received on a home console for the first time in over a decade. A year in which a new driver title not only managed to arrive following one of the worst sequels in history, now with a studio which was bailed out financially so many times and close to closing, but managed to innovate and deliver possibly the biggest surprise of the year, a very, very good single-player and multiplayer title. And last but not least, a new Mortal Kombat title, which is, in my opinion at least, the best in the franchise. I think we all know that titles 4 through 8 were really quite poor, but Mortal Kombat 9 definitely went back to old ways. It had slick animations, a plethora of modes, an enjoyable if rehashed story mode. Truly a title that brought franchise back from the precipice of extinction. We saw the release of three new consoles. The eye-melting, headache-inducing menace to children's eyesights everywhere, the Nintendo 3DS. The future tech but currently flawed on live system. And, if the media are to be believed, the failure the PlayStation Vita, all because it didn't break the Nintendo's 3DS's launch record in Japan. I've personally purchased a Nintendo 3DS, and I'm very happy with the tech. I think the perhaps the operating system on it isn't the greatest thing to navigate around in it. It is devoid of a few simple features. But the potential's there, and I'm sure over time we'll get some great games, because we waited over half a year for a truly great original title. Until then, we were living on the back of a 14-year-old remake. I will be buying a PlayStation Vita, maybe not next year, but definitely in the future, and for the first time since the PlayStation 1, Sony are launching with a strong lineup of games, so how people can say it's a failure is beyond me. For OnLive, I don't know, I think that technology is probably best placed in the hands of Sony and Microsoft and allow them to stream demos of games. It may work best that way. Overall, 2011 felt quite special to me despite the influx of sequels, because it felt like so many of those titles weren't money spinners. They were genuine, high-quality, polished titles. 
games that the developers and publishers teams that worked on them would be proud of. We saw media fallout. We saw the the people versus the media in a clash with Eurogamer over their hit out of ten campaign over titles like Gears of War three and even more so Uncharted three, where people who had yet to play the game felt they knew better than the reviewers because they only gave the title a high mark, not a legendary ten out of ten. Quite ridiculous. As for the games, I'm sure it comes as no surprise to people that my overall game of the year was Dead Space 2. Many of the reasons why were covered in the podcast, which sadly I couldn't make, so I'll just make a few notes here. And that's personally, I felt that the story moved on rather well from the first title. The environment, the sprawl was original, but you also go back to the Ishimura, and that felt quite special to me. We had great characters, although I wasn't too keen on Isaac speaking, and he certainly had quite a potty mouth on him, which sounds like an odd complaint coming from me, but yeah, it felt counter-immersive. We had brilliant combat, new weapons, everything just felt solid. Going it had so many special moments that usually when you recall great games, you even then you recall maybe one or two special moments, whereas Dead Space 2 offered so many. You had the first free-falling section between the trains you had the entrance to the sprawl the travel through the church of scientology without spoiling too much for those that haven't played it it's just so polished throughout chapter after chapter that it never loses pace and it had for me the greatest mode in any game this year and that was the hardcore mode i know we had darren was very keen on this mode and both myself and him both completed it and i'm not going to say it's for everyone but for those who want a challenge and play something original, you cannot beat Hardcore Mode this year. I know that Dark Souls is popular for a similar reason, but again, I hardly played that game. We had Crisis 2, which I almost saw as a laughing stock and only bought because I had a half-price voucher. And it turned out to be one of the most polished titles of the year from the incredible lighting, the high-quality textures, the wonderful models, great character movements... Overall, it just worked incredibly well. It had a, a very solid multiplayer mode that probably followed on and copied what Call of Duty does a bit, but with the modes, the invisibility, the armors, felt a little special. I played it with uh, the same bunch of friends time and time again. It became quite a social experience, and it was thoroughly enjoyable. I definitely urge people who haven't given it a chance to pick it up now because it's so dirt cheap. Another title I'm going to mention is Driver San Francisco. I actually had a friend who worked at the studio and I almost felt I had to purchase a copy of the game. And I'm very glad I did because despite the almost negative comments he would give over the circumstances that were working under up at Ubisoft Reflections in Newcastle, it was incredible that they came together to create a title that was, I'm not going to say polished, but it just worked. It was probably greater than the sum of its parts. It had an over-the-top story mode. It never took itself too seriously, which I think is key to everything. It had some almost great quips in the story. It had a novel take on submissions, the open city. And overall, it ended up being a joy to just drive around and have fun. And the multiplayer followed on very much the same streak. Nobody took it too seriously, but it had a, a real offering of modes 
for the price that that game can be had now, and even at launch, I got it for £22. It was one of the certainly the biggest surprise and one of the best bargains of the entire year. That's not to say it was all sweetness in light in 2011. There were a few disappointments. Rage is one. It looked stunning. It was probably visually the best game of the entire year. It had some sublime animation. The shooting was great, but it fell into the old id tradition of having one or two key guns. You know, we've had it in the past with Doom and the double-barreled shotgun. We've had it with Quake and the railgun and rocket launcher. And in Rage, you have the advanced wing sticks and the pop rockets for the shotgun. And you get those probably leveled up halfway through the game. And from that point on, it becomes easy, even on Nightmare difficulty, which for anyone who's trying to start that game, you just start it on that game, on that mode, because it just feels like normal in other games. The story was neither here nor there. You never knew if it meant anything. It has probably one of the worst endings to a game. It's probably the worst ending to a game since Borderlands, at least, and anyone who's completed Borderlands knows how bad that ending was. It had a co-op mode, which perhaps was under-advertised. It worked quite well, but it was such a minor part of the experience. The multiplayer was awful. It was all about driving the cars, and that was maybe the worst part of the game. It felt like it had a bit of an identity crisis. It didn't know whether it needed to be open-world, closed, linear. And the world itself is just too small. You've got rival factions, literally over the road from each other. I mean, in like the third mission, you go and clear out a rival faction and then zip line back in, which makes no sense when you think about it, because why wouldn't the rival faction have just done that anyway? It's all a bit ridiculous. And it's such a shame because it had all the potential to be something incredible. We had Uncharted 3, which maybe I'd... Saying it in such a negative way, I don't mean it's one of the worst games of the year, it's just one of the most disappointing games of the year you had. Everyone knows I have issues with the Uncharted shooting mechanic. The whole almost slip-and-slide maneuverability of Nathan Drake and the potluck headshot system and the over-reliance on simple rinse-and-repeat enemy cycles. And... In credit to Uncharted 3 for the first five chapters before you're given a gun, I really enjoyed that experience, except for his stumbling around like a drunkard in the animation cycles. I'm not entirely sure where the over, overly tactile Nathan Drake came from, where he has to touch every surface. And it, it, Again, it's that those little things that take you out of the immersion of the game, and it, that's something that Uncharted's always thrived on with its brilliant characterizations, character narration, and humor and these little things are just they feel so challenging to the experience that i actually haven't gone back to the game and it's one of the most exciting games of the year that i was looking forward to the battlefield 3 single player campaign which i know we've covered on the podcast so i'll keep this one brief but it's after bad company one and two were so humorous and they did all the right things, again, not like other titles, haven't taken themselves too seriously and sort of fell back on its humour. And they worked. In this, it felt too, like it wanted to be too realistic. It would use call signs and it would end up just bamboozling you and you, you didn't really understand what was going on and 
There was a, a lack of signposting where it was needed, and the whole single-player experience just felt so subpar. And it's no coincidence that reviews that mark that game down were purely marked down because you have to review the product as a whole because the multiplayer was exceptional. Uh, the lack of originality maybe on the marketplace. We had the Summer of Arcade where we had titles like From Dust, which went as quickly as it came about. And we had Bastion, which is revered by so many for its music and stylization of the graphics. And it's a title I'm looking forward to getting around to and I have purchased. That originality of those titles felt like they were perhaps... They all seemed to come in like a month-long space. And I would like... I felt that that was a bit disappointing. I like to see developers at least offering new experiences. And that fair enough, there are a few coming out in 2012. So, it, But as for 2011, it, it was a little disappointing to see less bravery from developers. Welcome to my highlights and lowlights of 2011. I am Desmond, and you may know me from the deceased podcast called the IDKFA Podcast. I'm going to take the next sort of 10-15 minutes to uh, talk to you in a monologue fashion about the games that I was disappointed and the games that I was um, not disappointed with in, in 2011. It's been a good year for games, I must admit, when I was um, making this list, I was writing it down, thinking to myself... I don't think I've enjoyed that many games this year because, <laughs> you know, it's fun to be negative on the internet, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, I hate, I love hating stuff. But yeah, when I started writing down uh, games on, off, my, off my shelf and off my virtual shelf and off my epic shelf, I was like, 2011 was a damn fine year for video games. Now, let's, uh, let's dip into the, the highlights. In January, we saw the release of uh, one of my most anticipated sequels uh, with um, Isaac Clarke in a Mass Effect 2 for, you know, all the formats that are worth mentioning. Sorry, we owners are only kidding. Uh, yeah, so we had, um, we had Isaac Clarke returning to, uh, to the Necromorph lands. And uh, yeah, I, I was genuinely excited about this game and it, it lived up to my hype throughout the, uh, the whole experience. And while it's not a genuine sort of like, shock horror sequel to the first one, um, I, I did really appreciate that where they, where they took the, uh, the game's direction and how it turned out, the game was definitely action-packed from start to finish. The the scenes where you're sliding down a train and hanging out the back of a carriage and getting in a little mini sort of like a little capsule, little pod, and boosting yourself through the the atmosphere of space and just just everything about it just turned the game up to eleven. And while people keep saying to myself, well, while people keep saying, um, oh, it's not a it's not as scary as the first one. I think it it never will be just because you sort of know what to expect. And uh, 
Yeah, Dead Space 2 was a fantastic game um, all the way through. And I, I really appreciated how they tried to take the story, which wasn't really present in the first one. It was sort of there in the background, but it was never in your face. It was just more like, you know, dudes go on Ishimura, dudes fight on Ishimura, and there's sort of like a little lingering sort of plot in the background. And then, then they had to create, oh, they had to create a sequel because it sold. And, you know, they had to sort of spin out this um, Scientology, oh, sorry, Unitology aspect of the whole thing and I, while I didn't you know get behind it 100% uh, the game still the game still lived up in terms of gameplay and while at the end that regenerator didn't really need to come fight me and again at the end I didn't really need to get stuck in a room because of glitches and oh yeah <laughs> um, there were a few sort of jarring experiences in that game but overall uh, a fine sequel and a, a fine franchise which I'd definitely love to see again and uh, yeah, let's let's hope Isaac Clark can stay sane for another one. Dead Space Two. In February, we had a game that I was looking forward to. And I don't think anyone else was. A game by People Can Fly, the guys who created uh, Painkiller, and published by Epic Games. You know the Gears of War folk. The, the Bulletstorm came out. Uh, yeah, in the month of love of February, we had a game about a dude. I, I can't remember the story. It doesn't matter, does it? doesn't matter um it is a game about a dude um just basically just kicking stuff into stuff and it proved to be one of the most exciting first person shooters in a long time uh in an industry where you know military shooters are you know multi-million billion pajillion sellers and uh earners it's nice to know that a game like this can come out and just have its own you know have its own space in the industry it's got like vibrant skies, beautiful landscapes, and even though it has that unreal look about, you know, the has that has that unreal look about the game, which you know persists for at ninety percent of this uh, generation's um, aesthetic. It's it's still proved to be an excellent game and has one of the best sniper rifles of all time, if not the best. Who doesn't want to guide a bullet into a soldier's anus, and when he flies off the uh, off the cliff? You can then control him and land his face into a cactus and get points. I think that was the biggest sort of uh, biggest sort of key there for that game. The biggest sort of feature was the point system that you know it allowed you to then unlock better and bigger things, and it all just sort of came together into one sort of genuinely fun package. And I don't really, I don't really get it when people say it wasn't that it wasn't a good game because it it, it, just, it just was. It really was. It really was a a decent package and in co-op with four of you. Or was it six or four? It it proved to be like uh, that a crazy a crazy idea can be even crazier in co-op. And yeah, it was um excellent. Uh, leashing dudes across gaps into like tornadoes and or into like a, a electrified fence, but doing stuff to them in, in midair before they hit their end goal and dying was just something amazing. So you'd see a guy on a ledge, and you could just whip him off, and uh, not in that way. You could whip him off with, with your leash and. Uh, you could do anything to him. You could shoot him in the nuts, shoot him in the head, and they all come to different points. But the more inventive you got with it, the more things you can um you can achieve. And if every time you check your list of skill shots, is what they call them, you can, you can find yourself with a uh, just just playing through it and going, okay, well, okay, what does this mean? And like it, part of the fun of that game is working out how to get these skill shots. And there were some devilish ones in there. Uh, yeah, uh, a highlight for me, Bullet Storm. In March we had um. Not that much going on, to be honest. Uh, Akami Den for the for the DS, not the 3DS. The DS came out, 
and it proved a worthwhile successor to the, the PS2 and Wii game Akami. Uh, it had a slow start with uh, some, a somewhat troubling massive orange arrow over your, uh, over your pup. But once that disappears, you're, you're, um, you're free to explore a, a sort of a, a semi-open world. And yeah, it apes, the, um, it apes the feel of the first one very well. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. When I said there was not a lot in March, uh, the 3DS was in March. And it sort of, you know, it put my massive face on the TV. Uh, and I went for for 10 seconds. And yeah, the 3DS came out to a, a somewhat muted launch. I mean, it wasn't muted for me because I went to a massive party and got drunk and, you know, got paid <laughs> by Nintendo to play, to play their 3DS on the telly. But yeah, the 3DS came out and there was only one decent game on it. And it, the 3DS is sort of a sort of a low light for me until recent months when Super Mario 3D Land came out. Um, the, the, the only decent game back then was uh, the Ghost Ghost Recon game, the Shadow Wars. Um, but yeah, the, the 3DS has been pretty lackluster, and I think Nintendo knew that. And their high price point wasn't pulling people in like they thought they would. And once they dropped the price, and that they sort of they acknowledged that it was pretty poo to start with, and you know that they gave us. Um, ambassadors or what I like to call idiots uh, free games for adopting the machine early it's still I don't know that, that, that machine still doesn't feel right in my hand like I'm playing Mario Kart 7 off and on and I still get sort of hand, hand cramps by pressing down that A button so much so the ergonomics of the machine doesn't, doesn't feel right doesn't feel as good as the previous D, uh, DS's it, it looks good don't get me wrong but the machine itself just quite isn't there yet and if I'd have known, if I'd have jumped into the future, I'd have known, I'd have gone, right, save your money and wait for the inevitable 3DS light that comes with two analog sticks. It's going to happen, let's face it. So yeah, uh, yeah, the 3DS, somewhat of a low light until Mario came out. Who would have thought it, eh? A Mario game is good on a Nintendo machine. Yep, the 3DS. In April, we saw Portal 2 come out from Valve, uh, one of the few games to get me up and out of bed at stupid o'clock to play. And yeah, uh, it wasn't, I wasn't the only one. There was, um, there was various friends and people on Steam trying to play all the indie games to release it early. And while I still believe it wasn't entirely true, <laughs> I, I still think we played those indie games for no real reason. Uh, just maybe an extra 20 minutes to play it early. Woohoo! Um, the, the idea of collecting potatoes in the indie games was a stroke of genius and... Since then, Valve have you know done that in the uh, the Christmas Steam sale. You know, get getting coal for draws of like lottery draws. Like every coal you get is a ticket for a draw to win games and stuff like that. Yeah, it was a, it was a genius system uh, back then, and it's a genius system now. And yeah, Portal Two is one of the best games I've ever played. Uh, to, to build upon a, a fantastic first, uh, you know, debut, first debut. Does that look some Uh Yeah. To follow up from Portal One was something of a, like a I don't know, like how, how do you do that? How do you how do you start writing a sequel for Portal Two? But they um they, they nailed it. The addition to Steve Merchant was fantastic. I know some people didn't like him, but I don't think anyone else could really be Wheatley now. Do you know what I mean? Like if, if you were to put another voice behind it, maybe it wouldn't sound so good. And maybe the reason why Wheatley is so good is because Stephen Merchant knows about comic timings and the whole thing behind Wheatley is he's a very comical character even during the twist when he becomes evil. Uh, yeah, Portal 2 expands on a, a mind-boggling uh, concept. I, I, I played it the other day, Portal 2, and uh, despite 
me playing Portal over and over and over again and Portal 2 twice before, still looking for a Portal and seeing myself is something that still boggles my mind. May saw the release of uh, what people call 2D Minecraft and they couldn't be more right with Terraria. Uh, a fantastic game that I put roughly about 50 hours into and I've been meaning to get back into. But um, it's just not happened with all the, uh, the games this winter. So a little honourable mention there in May for Terraria. Uh, I think it's better than Minecraft. Uh, low point in May was uh, L.A. Noir, Rockstar's new franchise into their open world sort of lunchbox, I guess. They're, they're, they're very renowned for their uh, open worldness. And L.A. Noir, LA Noir came out and was sort of, um, at first, it was, a, it was amazing. The idea of talking to people in sort of, not real time, but you can sort of see their face react. And, you know, that was, basically that dictated how they were, you know, lying or telling the truth. And while that system was a little bit broken in the, dun, 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 you're still playing a game. It's like, oh, come on, stop, stop treating me like, no, like I'm a chump. Do you know what I mean? Like if I make the wrong move, don't tell me because then I want to go back and do it. And, you know, because we're all gamers and we're all obsessed with getting a high score. We must get the high scores. You know what I mean? Um, it sort of, sort of marred the experience. But overall, the twist at the end was what killed that game for me. It wasn't explained very well. All of a sudden, Cole was a cheater on his wife. I mean, I'd never done that before in the game. And they spent the whole game trying to make you feel like you were Cole with all the, uh, the previous excellent Black Dahlia or Black Delia. <laughs> That's the Norwich cook, isn't it? Um, she's not black. And <laughs> yeah, anyway, sorry. Ella Noir was, um, was a great game until the last bit and... I didn't complete it because of that. I bought the I bought the season pass, never went back to it. And maybe I'm doing myself a, di- a disservice by being so sort of oh, jaded by it now. But that twist really done it for me. It was poorly done and it really took me out of the experience. Uh, June saw Duke Nukem Forever come out on my birthday. Bit of an insult. Was shit. But on the plus side, Shadows, Shadows of the Damned came out. Uh, a funny game. Even with its own little problems. Uh, it was a funny game, and the sort of showed Duke Nukem Forever how funny is done. Oh, and Ocarina of Time came out on the 3DS. Uh, Bastion came out, didn't it, in July? Yeah, July. Uh, it was a good game. I need to go back and do a second playthrough, because after hearing the Kane and Rinse show on it, I want to play it again. But just waiting for that time where I've got nothing to play. Yeah, Bastion was a great game and sort of reminded me of games from a previous generation like it literally reminded me of a SNES game the art style and the the viewpoint they gave you uh, but while bringing in a you know a fantastic narrative well narrator and a, a brilliant combat system and the music and the music uh, August saw the highly anticipated sequel or prequel to um, Deus Ex with the Deus Ex Human Revolution uh, a pot where this podcast is this uh, yeah, this podcast has already done a show on it, and uh, it was quite, it was quite well received despite its its downsides. Uh, yeah, I absolutely love this game, and I don't really know why. There's no real standout point in it. I think maybe the stealth mechanic is what sold it to me, which is weird because I don't play stealth games. But once I nutted out the um, the stealth mechanic in that game, I really felt like I was part of part of the world in a weird way, like. I was just like utilizing the uh, the environment to hide and you know disguise myself around certain corners. And once I started camouflaging my way through various bits and bobs, I, I literally felt like I was in a Metal Gear sort of environment. Uh, the, the cyberpunk the cyberpunk aesthetic really uh, really appeals to me. And yeah, just, just the um the sort of the, the first two thirds of that story really gripped me. And you know, why the third I gripped? 
Well, while the third, um, uh, while the last third, sorry, didn't really appeal to me in any way because it was, you know, pretty limp with the with the final boss fight and pressing those buttons. Uh, it definitely, it definitely got me by its claws. Uh, twice I played through it twice. Once as a stealthy Jensen, and once as a sort of a, just an idiot Jensen, just ignored everyone, just interrupted all the conversations, and shot everyone. And both ways really opened up my eyes to how well that game is uh, constructed. Oh, and putting that guy's face on the the big screen outside the bar to humiliate him was one of the most satisfying side quests I've done in a long time. Yeah, Deus Ex Human Revolution. Who doesn't want to jump really high? off a ledge, float down with this Icarus landing system and then stab someone in the back. Who doesn't want to do that? Indeed. Uh, September had Gears of War 3, but, you know, it's Gears of War 3. Good. But October had uh, Rage. Again, good. People slag that game a bit too harsh for what it's worth. Uh, It is essentially an it shooter, which, you know, it's just get a shotgun and blow stuff up and I don't know what people were expecting from that game for it not to be that uh, it is, it is, they could have done away with the, the driving bits in between because it did feel a little bit like filler, you know, getting from one place to another but again on the, on the flip side to that it sort of made the world feel a little bit more connected in a way uh, you know, rather than just like loading level to level to level you had a, you had a sense of um, traversal in that game, you know, when you're getting in your buggy and fighting off the bandits in the wasteland and yeah, uh, I I enjoyed Rage. Uh, it, again, it, people slag that game far too much, uh, you know, for what for what, for what it actually is. And uh, again, uh, another great first-person shooter in a in a world of you know military blandness. But speaking of military blandness, um, the the Battlefield Three single player was a definite low light. But on the flip side to that, the multiplayer is still got me by its little. Force grip, it's Darth Vader grip, and uh, yeah, I've been medicing my way ever since day one. Don't think I've even put in a single minute of the other class, or maybe I haven't just checking it out. But the assault with the um the two irons, the two Bosch irons or Black and Decker, no, not Black and Decker, that's tools in it. Yeah, and running around with my irons, reviving people and dro- dropping med packs is just reminds me of how much I loved Battlefield Two. And then when they released the maps from Battlefield Two, I can't, I can't keep away from it. I just at the moment I'm just totally absorbed by it. Uh, back back to Karkand is fantastic. Uh, around about this time we had Saints Row the Third, a game which you should really play. <laughs> I know everyone keeps saying it, but you really should. It's uh, it sort of does away with the open world sort of filler. And if you really want it to, well, no, the open world is there. But if you want it to, you can have one of the the best sort of open worldy focused storylines ever created uh, while GTA 4 went really mad serious Central Deferred is the absolute reverse to that and it is bonkers but holds it well together so yeah who doesn't want to be a toilet just saying uh, what else we got we have um, Mario 3D Land it's just Mario <laughs> but it's a really good Mario and it sort of um, offers a, a unique experience again Nintendo bringing unique experiences within a well-known franchise. And, yeah, it's the best game on the 3DS. We also have Zelda Skyward Sword, a fantastic sequel. And, again, a reinvention of the franchise, bringing you something that I really liked, but I wouldn't want to see again, if you know what I mean. I don't want to see that combat system again. And the fact that they said that in, in the news story was pretty pretty upsetting. <laughs> but I like, I like the combat. Don't get me wrong. The one-to-one sort of, you know, 
sword fighting is great, but can we just take it back to standardised buttons, please? Uh, yeah, a fantastic soundtrack. One of my favourites in the Zelda series. Um, married with uh, a beautiful visual style, even for the Wii. Oh, imagine that. And yeah, I just honestly can't wait for the Wii U now. Um, if that's what they're pushing out on the Wii, and the Wii U can handle HD like resolutions, then I I am excited for the Wii U. Um, I think I'm reverting back into a Nintendo fanboy. I don't know why. <laughs> I do know why, because they still make the best games of their genre. Uh, so yeah, that is my review of 2011. A little bit over time. Sorry. Uh, but uh, honourable mention goes to Binding of Isaac as well. Team meets, well, Edmund McMillian's game with uh, some other dude. <laughs> Sorry, other dude. You're like the third guy who went to space. No one remembers your name. Uh, yeah, uh, Binding of Isaac. It is awesome. So thank you very much for listening. I've been Desmond. Oh, no. We don't do that on this show, do we? I have been... Uh, no. I, I am Darren Gogett. Thank you for listening. Two thousand eleven began the year with really high expectations for me. Um, just thinking back, so Dead Space sequel, the completion of the Gears of War trilogy, uh, La Noire, which promised to sort of bring together various uh, aspects of Rockstar games that I'd never really quite felt fitted together, um, and put them all into one really unique noir story. Um, Seeing Portal expanded into a full game was something I was really excited to see. Um, a Deus Ex prequel I was really looking forward to. Um, I'd never p- played an Elder Scrolls game either, so I was really looking forward to trying Skyrim. Um, and I also, um, it's easy to forget that Mass Effect 3 was supposed to come out in 2011 as well. Of all of those and many more uh, big games I was looking forward to during the course of 2011. It's kind of telling that only one of them makes it into any short list of my favourite games from last year. Um, that's not a criticism of the, of those games in particular because they all felt 
dwarfed by some of the older games that I played. Um, games like Shenmue 2, Res, Beyond Good and Evil, Psychonauts, uh, the original Deus Ex, uh, Shadow of the Colossus, and the incredible Eco. It's really tough to put even some of those biggest and you know kind of best games of last year up against you know a, a group of games like that that you know that I played from the previous years. Having said that, um, I would like to highlight three of the sort of biggest releases that aren't my favorite games of the year, but I really you know, for one reason or another, they impressed me and didn't really do a lot wrong in my eyes. Um, certainly not when set against my expectations. Um, those are Dead Space 2, which had some of the best set pieces uh, of any game last year and some of the best sound design, the intensity of some of the fights when you've, you know, you've got so much going on around you and you've also got that, you know, sort of trademark audio. Um, also, Deus Ex Human Revolution captured the atmosphere of the original games really, really well and put in some promising steps towards what may be a sort of relaunch of this um, series. So I'm really looking forward to seeing where that goes. Um, and Gears of War 3, um, it improves on every individual area of the previous two games and adds in an extra mode. But what really stood out for me was it was released with various modes. Uh, it's quite a big experience, if you like. Um, and it was as polished as any other game. You know, 2011 in some ways was the year where games were released with a lot of bugs Unfinished seems like a harsh term, but I think a lot of people sort of felt that way about certain games. And Gears of War 3, whenever I've played it, has worked flawlessly. It worked absolutely as it should. Um, and for, for such a big, high-profile game to do that, it shouldn't really be you know, notable, but it was with the way that 2011 went. So i definitely like to s sort of single out those three as big releases that um, I'd just like to sort of pay some heed to. Um, as far as my favourite games of the year, um, I'd like to pick out sort of five games that I felt for one reason or another stood out from the rest of the games I played uh, in 2011. In all of these cases, they kind of stood out, out because they, they combined um, visuals, music and audio, story and gameplay to make a, an experience where there wasn't really much to lift me out of that experience. It really seemed like a, a complete game uh, where everything fitted together. I think when I look back at this list, that's what I notice most about these games. All of them have that in common. Um, first on the list is, is Bastion, which we covered in a cane rinse, and you can hear my thoughts and the thoughts of the, the other uh, guys on, on the podcast. Um, but just briefly, the the visuals, the artwork, so uh, identifiable and so uh, unique. You know, it's it's instantly recognisable. Um, it's really got this quirky post apocalyptic feel that fits well with the story um, and the characters. 
the gameplay is kept really, really simple, but you realize as you go through the game, a bit like the story, there's depth to be found there, you know, in the way that you play and the the weapons you choose and, and then the the tonics and the the power-ups beyond that. They really fit together well. And, of course, the music. Um, it's something that, as I said, a, a, a lot of the games that I enjoyed most this year had really good music. And it's tough not to say that um, that Bastion has as good as, if not better than any of the other uh, games on this list. The music's just, uh, it sticks with you, you know. Um, you hear it and you instantly feel what you felt when you were playing the game, which I thought was a real uh, standout sort of in, in the middle of this year. It was a game I hadn't expected to enjoy, but really sort of felt, you know, drawn to. Ghost Trick Phantom Detective um, its kind of a point-and-click adventure in any other name. But when I say that, of the short list of, of five games I might pick out of this year, it's kind of my favourite game of the year. It's got this great design, the characters, the way they, they move and act, um, their characterization. Um, it's, just, it's really, really good for what seems to be, as I've said, a point-and-click game, but it's also a puzzle game. It uses one single mechanic throughout almost all of the game, but it's used in so many inventive ways that it's kind of ingenious. Um, the story is, is, is almost a noir tale um, where you are this spirit inhabiting uh, various objects and manipulating them. And I say that it's a noir tale because when I compare it to something like L.A. Noir, which was my biggest disappointment this year. Um, you know, Ellie Noir felt like all these, you know, had the facial animation, the dialogue, the detecting, the the uh, gunplay, and also the open world. None of them felt like they fitted together for me. It felt like different parts of, of different games sort of thrown together that didn't really fit. And Ghost Trick tells this very small personal noir tale with such character and charm that it really is a fantastic experience. And yeah, my favorite game of the year, I think. Um, character and charm is something that Kirby's Epic Yarn has in spades. It sort of turned Kirby on its head, but in a way that creates this really complete experience built around Patchland, which is a land made of yarn. Um, Every facet of the game sort of, if you'll excuse the pun, stitches together to produce this like quilt of charm and cute, endearing storytelling, which it sent me straight back to childhood. And anyone who knows Jack and Ori or even something like Teletubbies will just recognize that really great, simple way of telling a story that feels familiar and warm. You know, it's... Um, it's really good. Um, yeah, everything fits together. The game is um, really enjoyable. Not too long, not too hard, kind of just right. Portal 2. I don't want to say this, but I think Valve might have created almost the perfect game in some ways. It was mentioned on Digital Cowboys a while back. Um, 
it, it may not be perfect in every way, but Valve have designed it to try and make it absolutely perfect. You know, the story that it tells, the, the characters and the dialogue and the humour, they just really work so well. They're almost over-designed, but just laid down, you know, that every turn, every twist, every move, every layer that's peeled off Aperture Science and peeled off the, the characters that you're with just feels right. Um, and the aesthetic, the way the world's designed, the graphics and, and the engine that they're using, the source engine, are kind of old now. They're, they're maybe past their best days. But the way they've designed the game, the way they've chosen to, to make the game look fits it so well that they are they're really doing the best they can, which is why I would say that they've maybe designed the perfect game, in my opinion. Um, it's certainly one like no other. And I'd just like to uh, take a brief moment to talk about the co-op in Portal 2. Um, I don't play many online games. Um, co-op is the way I'd prefer to play them. And playing Portal 2 in co-op with... Um, one of my best friends, it really felt like we were working together. You know, you'd have that moment where the perspective of the room would change or you'd just see something for a split second that you hadn't seen before. Um, and almost always you would see it together. You would have that eureka moment, that epiphany together. Um, I've never felt that in a game before. Um, just doing sort of one course at a time over a course over the period of an hour um, really felt like sitting down and tackling a problem and you would have the breakthrough and come away just each course on its own feeling like you'd had a great co-op experience you know uh, just almost a, a mini game on its own um, yeah I just think um, that as a co-op game was absolutely fantastic and the fact that there was threads of story built into it that didn't that didn't pull straight back into the, the single player. It could stand alone on its own. Um, I thought that really, really worked well. Rayman Oranges, Oranges, uh, was kind of late to the party. Um, all the other games that I would pick were from the first half of the year, and this was released in November amongst lots of other big titles kind of makes it the anti-Cain and Rin selection here because, yes, I've completed the game, but I'd much prefer a couple of months' distance to really put this game into perspective and to to allow it to just mull over how I feel about the game before sort of thrusting it forward as one of my favourite games of the year. But the amount of fun I had playing this game alone puts it on the list. Um, it just... It was a delight to play. It really was. Um, like, a, like a lot of my other choices, at a certain point I'll start sounding like a broken record, but every part of it kind of fits together. It feels like a game where attention was paid to every single detail. Um, it, it made it addictive in a way that no other platformers managed for me. Um, the, the nearest thing I could um, compare it to is something like Explosion Man. I got halfway through that game and I kind of had been ground down on just trying to push the character around the environment to get him to the end of the levels. Whereas with Rayman, 
I, I always felt all the way through the game as the levels were getting increasingly more difficult, always felt like I was on the cusp of just flowing through a level. And those moments when it happened and you would just hit through an entire level, every jump, start to finish, were just fantastic. So much fun. Um, I also want to say it may actually be the best looking game I've ever played. It really made me think about any game that chases after um, photorealistic graphics because if you can create a design aesthetic, you know, a, a, an art style that's unique and quirky and, and funny um, in terms of the way the characters animate and look uh, and sound, put that with some really crisp graphics, it's really tough to beat. Um, it just looks so bright and vibrant in ways that a Battlefield 3 just can't manage. Um, that's It's a pure matter of opinion, but I would say maybe the best looking game I've played. Joshua Garrity here. So, 2011. It was all right. It was a good year. But I don't think it was a great year, uh, especially coming off of 2010, which, quite frankly, I thought was one of the best years ever. Um, I mean, let's go down the list. We've got Mass Effect 2, we've got Starcraft 2, we've got Limbo, we've got Super Meat Boy, we've got Bayonetta, we've got Red Dead Redemption. 2010 was a great year, um, and some of the games that I mentioned there are some of my favourite games this generation. Um, 2011 feels like the year of the almost-but-not-quite-sequel. So we've got games like Dead Space 2, Uncharted 3, Batman Arkham City that are all great in their own right, but kind of fall just short of the mark of the games that came before them. I think there are a few exceptions, for example, Portal 2, which I personally think is superior to the original. I know I'm in the minority there, but there it is. And there have been fewer new IP this year as well. I mean, we have Bayonetta and Vanquish from Platinum Studios and stuff like Limbo, where the only new IP that I have in my top 10 is Bastion, which is a bit sad. 
I think it's been a more interesting year for news in 2011 than it has been for games. Uh, for example, the Supreme Court backing video games and their right to freedom of speech and expression, which I think is a big win for the industry. Unfortunately, SOPA has come along, and now we have to deal with that. That's fun. I think uh, the Wii U and PlayStation Vita announcements were really interesting, especially because we were all a bit confused when the Wii U was announced because for a while there I thought it was just an attachment for the Wii until somebody actually explained it to me after the press conference. Out of the two consoles, I do think I will be buying the Wii U simply because I still think Nintendo's in-house team are one of the best teams in the industry. I mean, Mario Galaxy and now Skyward Sword, they're great games and I will continue to support Nintendo. The PlayStation Vita, on the other hand, I'm not so sure about. Um, there are lots of great games on there that I want to play, like Uncharted, but I don't know if I'd rather play them on a console, a home console. And especially seeing as Peace Walker uh, is coming out in the UK on the PlayStation 3 via the uh, Metal Gear Solid Collection, I can't help but wonder if the same thing's going to happen to some of these Vita games. But let's talk about my favourite games of 2011, and there have been a lot of uh, games that I've enjoyed, like Dead Space 2, Skyrim, and Uncharted 3, but really it comes down to three that I'm going to remember as the years go by. Um, first up is Skyward Sword, which I think is an excellent addition to the Zelda franchise. Is it the huge change to the series that Nintendo promised it would be? Absolutely not. It's the same formula, but you know what? It's one of the better Zelda games I've played. Uh, the sword combat is great. Um, it's not the waggle fest that I'm sure some of you imagined it would be. It's uh, precise, it's accurate, and it's fun. Um, in general, it controls really well. The temple design is superb. Uh, possibly the best in the series. The soundtrack, oh, the soundtrack is so good. It's nice to hear some classic Zelda themes fully orchestrated, um, it, much like uh, Mario Galaxy fully orchestrated some classic Mario themes. The art design is great, um, borrows a lot from Wind Waker, which is possibly the best-looking game in the series. I think Wind Waker is a better-looking game than Skyward Sword, but... Um, that's because that game is amazing. Um, it's not perfect, though. It's not the 10 out of 10 game that some people are claiming it is. I mean, swimming is terrible. Uh, flying your bird around is, is all right, I guess. And there are a couple of like motion control sequences that are just a little bit irritating. But thankfully, the majority of the motion control is fun is enjoyable. The story is simple but cool and interesting. Uh, the characters are lovable. Zelda is actually an interesting character that you care about instead of just some girl that you have to save. The villain is genuinely creepy. It's a great addition to the series and one of the few sequels that I think is worth uh, some attention this year. Next is Bastion, which was by far my biggest surprise this year. Um, 
I wasn't excited for this game until I tried the trial. Um, the art design, the soundtrack are all fantastic in this game. I mean, I need to mention Darren Corb, who is a great find, and I hope he works on many more games because he is simply fantastic. Um, I hear the track Twisted Streets, and it instantly transports me to that world and that place, which you can't say about many soundtracks, but you can say about Bastions. Gen Z, who did the art design, uh, is fantastic. It has a very uh, painterly, watercolory type look to it, and... Um, your character kind of looks like a claymation type thing. The way that's animated looks interesting. Gameplay-wise, it's actually relatively simple, but it's executed excellently. So I'm willing to overlook that it's kind of, you know, it's not that original. But everything around the gameplay is original and is interesting. So that's great. Of course, there's Logan Cunningham's narration, which at first... I thought was going to be a bit of a gimmick, but ends up being a fantastic storytelling device and also a way of telling a story that does not interrupt the flow of the gameplay. They never go, stop, here's a cutscene, stop, here's a cutscene, stop, here's a cutscene, which, as much as I love Metal Gear Solid, is really guilty of. Uh, it just keeps going, and it's giving you all this information while you're playing, which is so great. I think as a debut from Super Giant Games, it's amazing, and I think everyone should give it a go. I think it's destined to become a classic uh, from Xbox Live, so uh, play it. Lastly, we have Portal 2, which is by far my game of the year uh, this year. Um, I think it's a master of everything it attempts. Uh, game design is spectacular. Story is spectacular. Writing is spectacular. Um, I just want to talk about the characters briefly. GLaDOS is now an iconic villain in video games. I mean that calm confidence, the passive aggression, but that interior of a psychotic is so fascinating. And our dry one-liners are comic genius and i love her i think she's a great character and then we have new additions like wheatley and cave johnson who contrast fantastically with uh, glados wheatley being kind of a dumb bumbling fool and cave johnson being a manic uh, uh enthusiast but then later on kind of depressed presence um but just you don't get writing like this in other games. I mean, the only thing that comes close is Uncharted, but even that doesn't have lines that even come close to Portal 2. It's hilarious. And how many games are that funny? I mean, Portal 1 was really funny, and then there's Psychonauts, and really those are the only games that have made me laugh as much as Portal 2 has. And I think it's an achievement, really. And then we have the game itself, which is just just great. Um, the portals return, which is as fun as ever, finding interesting ways to bend space and time to solve puzzles. We have new additions like the gels, which really uh, shake up the puzzles. 
Um, and then we got co-op, which was really fun. I played that with Midgemeister. It was an interesting dynamic because um, what would tend to happen is I'd stand back and examine the room, and then Midge would just fling himself right into every trap. But that was kind of useful for me because I was like, all right, so if you do that... And then Midge would figure out stuff as he was doing it, and I would figure out stuff by observing him. It was great co-op. Um because it really required you to work as a team, which you can't say about most co-op games. Um, I can't fault it. I, I'm trying to think of flaws. Um, the loading times between test chambers were a bit annoying, but that's about it. There weren't any glitches. There weren't any real any technical hitches or anything like that. I mean, the plot is mental, but it's a comedy, so I, I, I'm not going to take away points for illogical storytelling because I don't, I don't think it's meant to be taken seriously. It's hilarious. Um, I don't think anything comes close to Portal Two. I mean, everyone's talking about Skyrim, but um, fuck, fuck Skyrim. Um, quite frankly, Portal Two's game of the year. Um, so buy it. Anyway, so to sum up, 2011, good. Not great. Portal 2 is amazing. Play it. Bye. Favorite games of 2011. I suppose that I could start with Dead Space 2, but since we've already talked about this masterpiece on the show, I'm not going to bang on about how great it is in pretty much every single way you could imagine. You can find this game cheap as chips in game shops or on Steam, so why not run off and experience one of the finest, finest shooters in years for yourself, rather than listening to me yammering on about it? Go on, get by it now. Then there's Dark Souls. For Demon's Souls veterans, the gameplay is very familiar, but there's a lot of intelligent design choices that were added to this installment. The new open-world design made the areas feel more cohesive, heavier armors finally became useful through their ability to negate hit stagger, and a plethora of tweaks too numerous to list became apparent as you played. It's still brick-hard, mind you. Only the staunchest gamers need apply, as even the best of us will be repeatedly killed, 
mauled, impaled by spears, crushed by boulders, devoured by naked woman-slash-spider hybrids, smacked by pendulums, bounced off ledges, incinerated, stabbed in the throat, poisoned, infected by the plague, set aflame, munched by dragons, have your skull cracked open by a great boggle-eyed bearded weirdo who starts gobbling up the brains and slapping out your head before your corpse even stops twitching, amongst a great many other deathly delights. There were a few missteps where it seemed that From Software possibly overreached in their ambition versus their budget and development timeframe. One of the final levels looks and plays like something out of a PlayStation 2 era title, and the frame rate in Blight Town is a blight upon video games. <laughs> but no other game delivered the same sense of accomplishment this year as Dark Souls did. It's one of the best pure video game experiences that you can lay your hands upon, and not just because of the difficulty. It's because From Software went their own way, rather than trying to incorporate all those QTEs, cutscenes, bombastic set pieces, and other crowd-pleasing shit that goes into common mainstream titles, the Dark Souls stands out so much. It's one that gives you a lot of credit as a gamer, and successfully navigating a corridor with three bad guys in it can be more fulfilling than the most climatic explosion-filled set pieces that bookend so many other titles out there. It's a game where the moment-to-moment tension means that you're more mentally involved with slowly shuffling across a ledge than piloting a starship in a desperate bid to defeat Blackthor the Immolastable and save the entire human race from destruction. Seeing is believing, of course, so you should head out and buy a copy right now so that you can see for yourself why I hold this game in such high regard. If you can withstand some pain and anguish mixed in amongst your digital entertainment, I guarantee that you won't regret it. Now let's talk about Saints Row the Third. As the sequel to what was undeniably my favourite open world game of all time, Saints Row the Third had a lot, hell of a lot to live up to. And as it just so happens, the very first few missions of the game have the power to make firm believers out of people who'd previously never even considered the series. By the time you pick your job off the floor, you'll have dangled precariously from a bank vault attached to a violently swinging helicopter, while simultaneously fending off an entire army of SWAT troops. You'll have skydived out of a plane through a storm of bullets, henchmen, and twisted burning steel in a heroic effort to catch one of your lieutenants, only to then bust through the cockpit and murder a bunch more goons as that same plane turns around and tries to ram you out of the sky. As you can probably guess, Saints Row the Third features some of the greatest action sequences in gaming before the very first hour has passed. It's also a game that makes a lot of very smart changes to the sandbox genre. Fed up of getting someone to slow to a stop and laborious drilly dragging them out of their car? Why not sprint towards them instead in a demented game of chicken, leap majestically into the air and smash through their windscreen feet first, dropkicking the driver clean out the passenger seat, and then drive off with a smile on your face and only a few shards of glass stuck in your eyes? Sadly, the game does suffer from a lack of budget and development time in several places, particularly in the cutscenes department. Major characters are killed off in a manner that leaves you wondering whether they're alive or dead, and events generally lack resolution. After the revenge fueled frenzy that was seen through 2, in my opinion easily one of the best and most sa- savagely satisfying video game stories of all time, this is certainly a disappointment that even the balls out insanity can't mask. However, for myself and many others, Saints Row the Third is one of the most important games in years. One that confidently declares that video games don't need to be don't need squad realism dragging them down, they just need to be fun. And Saints Row the Third is certainly an incredible amount of fun. Sticking their fingers up at vid- boring modern video game contrivances, and then slapping them across the face with a dildo bat, Saints Row the Third delivers on its promises with style. 
It's genuinely funny, borderline insane, and features possibly the best co-op experience that gaming has to offer. And frankly, there's barely enough time to mention the fact that you can make the main Carter into an obese purple zombie if you feel like it, or a top-heavy female with a penchant for suplexing random civilians, or even just someone that looks just that little bit like you. If you haven't played Saints Row the Third or its predecessor yet, you're missing out on one of the best times you can possibly have without taking off your clothes and jumping out of a helicopter for real, with the intent to unleash wrestling fury on the populace. As for the music choices during Murder Brawl of the penultimate mission, the man responsible should be sure in gold. As my fun-loving sociopathic Carter would undoubtedly say, <laughs> Nice. The most inexplicably excellent Game of the Year award goes to Cabela's Survival, Shadows of Katmai. It's the product of a company that thought, uh, you know that uh, Uncharted 2 game that reviewers are all humping each other's legs over? Why don't we uh, try to get unearned action as well? Only instead of a multi-million dollar budget and focus testing out the backside, Cabela's Survival was very clearly made for £20 and a tin of soup. Needless to say, Cabela's Survival is way, way more entertaining than Uncharted 2 could ever hope to be. Following an unregistered plane journey through intense Arctic winds that culminates with your Carter piloting his plane into a lightning bolt, the idiot, and then careering into the side of a mountain, the absolute dribbling cretin, you're then locked in a low-budget battle for survival against wolves, bears, hideous belts that peck at your hands as you cling to a mountain ledge and start blasting away at them with a pistol, piss-poor aiming, dialogue that you just would not believe, crazy old men and teleporting meat. Yep, meat that teleports. You heard me. If all this sounds awful, it kind of is. But more importantly, it's insanely entertaining. Like watching Deadly Prey with a close friend and rolling about laughing at how bad everything is. It doesn't matter how mechanically unsound the game is, or that it reads it like it was scripted by a five-year-old. Cabela's survival remains surprisingly enjoyable from start to finish. Special props have to go out to Togo, canine assistant, that crazy old guy that I mentioned. Togo is amazing. I fucking love Togo, with the passion of a million burning suns. How does Togo follow you across chasms that are clearly impossible to navigate without human hands? Who gives a shit? Togo does not, and beats you to your destination every single time, warping through time and space just to show you how much better he is than you. He's the best Carter designed all year without a shadow of a doubt, and I'll chew the legs off anyone who claims otherwise. And all that before the sequence involving a base jumping Togo that just has to be seen to be believed. Along the way, your Carter will have tra traversed impossible terrain, killed about 10 million individual lifeforms, harvested meat from a dead animal on the other side of a ravine, been mauled by a bear, and stuffed a doctor inside a moose. It's a game that should be completely dreadful but ends up becoming massively endearing in the absolute best B-movie tradition. This game is brilliant, low-budget madness, and while I wouldn't recommend you buy it new, I would definitely recommend you get it rented out and check it out as soon as you get the chance. One quick tip though, do not fuck with Togo. He knows all the best hunting spots, so just follow him to get your quarry, and everything will be alright. So, that leads on to my personal favourite surprise of the year, which was Warhammer 40k Space Marine. Now, I've got to admit, while I expected to enjoy Space Marine, 
I didn't expect to enjoy it even half as much as I ultimately did. Taking command of Ultramarine Captain, Captain Titus and massacring hundreds upon hundreds of foolish little enemies turned out to be one of the most pleasurable experiences of the year, in no small part due to just how well Relic nailed the action side of things. How Space Marine comes alive is in how awesome the guns feel, tearing your op opponents apart with brutal efficiency and satisfying reactions to every bolt or bullet that plows through soft orc skulls. Not only this, but the close quarters combat totally outshines any other third-person shooter I can think of. It's not some awkward leaping, pirouetting shotgun fest as seen in the Gears of War series, nor a boring instant knife kill as in so many others. It's a simple but effective mixture of combos, shoulder badges and execution moves that means that the melee combat can be every bit as satisfying as the most intense ranged battles. It's an incredibly gratifying feeling to sunder those opposing hordes as you tear through their midst, ripping through their screenskin's flesh with a chainsaw, and smashing them apart in melee combat. When your health is low, you merely stun the bastard nearest to you and perform a, re a remarkably graphic execution to regain your health. I'm not sure how the logic behind this works exactly, but it makes for a damn satisfying combat mechanic. Now, the game's not perfect. The level design lets it down with plenty of linear corridors to wade through. The last boss is a disappointment, and there isn't much in the way of unique set pieces to spice up the action throughout. However, you tend to immediately forget this when the game punts a jetpack and a thunderhammer your way, and you speed across the arena, smashing the hell out of any poor bugger stupid enough to get between you and your goal. Even better, I was surprised to find out just how much I enjoyed the online in Space Marine. Multiplayer doesn't centre around some bastard cowering in a corner across the map, with only his head poking out of a toilet as he snipes spawning players, drooling and fouling himself with glee as his KD ratio goes through the roof. No. Multiplayer in Space Marine is glorious carnage, but skillful carnage at that. It's not spotting your opponent that's the problem, it's destroying him. Taking the first shot doesn't necessarily ensure victory amongst more skilled players, and each kill is all the more satisfying as a result. Biggest Disappointment of the Year While there were plenty of games that didn't live up to my own harsh standards, none of which I'll name in an effort not to incite global internet fury resulting in the Keenan Rent Studios being burnt to the ground with a coupling mob weighing over our blackened corpses. No, my greatest disappointment this year was not having the time to play everything I wanted to. There was a metric, metric crapload of games that looked really neat, but I just didn't have the time to play, in part because of the games I've previously talked about on the show, and in part because there were too few hours in a lifetime to get around to everything that's worth checking out. From the artistically brilliant Alice Madness Returns and Rayman Origins, the eye-blisteringly speedy Sonic Generations, are all those downloadable titles I've had piling up on my hard drive such as Renegade Ops, Trouble Witches, Outland and the Beyond Good and Evil HD remake, it's bloody impossible to keep up with everything. I'd had Xenoblade Chronicles sitting idle for months before I'd found the time to finish it, and dozens of other games lurk in my backlog still. I'd like to put out a special mention to King of Fighters 13, which is the best fighting game I have played in years, at least since Virtua Fighter 5 came out all those years ago. I'm not going to bang on about this one because there's really very little to say about it. You know what a, a 2D fighting game does, so all you need to know is that this game looks great, plays incredibly well, and I highly recommend you check it out. It's damn close to fighting game perfection. So in conclusion, I would like to thank everyone listening to this for listening to the Keenan Rinse podcast thus far, and I hope you all had a great new year, and that the year to come is the best that you've ever had. Adios amigos.